0: good morning everybody how are you doing good morning everybody how are you doing awesome good i think jake's doing better than all of you because he was ready for that one but it's so weird eh this has just been the weirdest time ever and uh we're kind of back in church kind of sort of but uh, we have the chair spacing of distrust right Like we all assume someone's going to steal our wallet if they're sitting too close to each other. And so we're just got 18 feet in between each other. I I choose to laugh through this whole time. It's going to be great stories for all of these things. Because, you know, our grandparents had the walking to school uphill in the snow both ways stories, right? But now we get to say, we had to parent you guys through COVID, and because you survived, that's the miracle right there. So this is interesting times. And we are going to be talking about providence a little bit during the message today. Um, do you all know what providence is? It's not just a college out in the middle of nowhere. It It's, I think, got a Latin root to it, and it means um, looking to something. And the big idea is that God is God is looking to how the world is running. And when theologians use the word providence, what they're often talking about is that the God of the universe is managing all the details of life. He is in control of human history. He's in control of what happens day to day. And he's in control of feeding all the birds of the sky and giving the dung beetles the dung they need. To be dung beetles every single day he gives the lions something to chase after he causes the wheat to grow, he keeps the world spinning, uh, he makes the comets the comets and the asteroids have lots of near misses so that the astronomers have things to wave their arms about for a little bit, but the world keeps moving without um, anything too catastrophic happening and he rules over the political realms he rules over the nations of the earth it 's all under his providence. And we're going to be talking about that today, including, um, of course, diseases and sicknesses and how people respond to it. But we're going to be looking at the story of Daniel. And Lord willing, we'll do this for a couple of weeks until it seems appropriate to move on. And kids, I want to talk to you about heroes. Do you guys have any heroes? Many young people and you can decide if you fit into that category, have heroes who are sports heroes. Anybody have any sports heroes? Man, you give people a ball, and it could even be one of those oblong balls that, that look like it's been squeezed through something. And, and as soon as people can figure out a trick to do with that ball, they're a hero, right? Right? if you can find any trick to do you become a hero nowadays if you have a water bottle a plastic water bottle you know those things that are destroying the oceans i'm just kidding you know those delicious things that let you know trust the water that you're drinking and you drink it so that you've only got like a little bit of water in the bottom and you can make that thing flip and land on the bottom you're a hero In fact, you can start an entire YouTube channel, a multi-million dollar enterprise, off of videotaping you and your friends flipping water bottles or other things. Am I right? Let's go! Am I right? It's all real. Anyhow, I even like those guys. Heroes. Sports heroes. Anybody have any video game heroes? Anybody have any gamer heroes? Come on. Okay, in the back row there, thank you. What makes a gamer hero like most headshots in Call of Duty per hour? I don't even know. League of League of Warcraft. Somebody? Nobody? Hall of Legends? Castle Crush? I can't even keep up with this stuff nowadays, but no, don't 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 help me out. I don't need any help. I'm all good. I'm more of a racer. You're a racer, okay. Well, I'm lost already. You can play video games and you can become a hero just by having like a millionth of a second faster twitch muscles than the basement dwellers next to you. <laughs> Am I right? One of my favorite memes that came out of here, Babylon B, was the one that said, um, "Gamers wake up one morning and realize that their lives are normal because everyone's just supposed to stay at home and be on a screen all day." This is awesome. We were all gamers for the last three months. And it was a beautiful thing. And that now we can't judge anybody anymore. Who are your heroes? I want to uh, look at the life of Daniel. And for young people, I want to encourage you to look at this guy to be one of your heroes. Because in one sense, he didn't do much besides embrace God's call in his situation and do his best at school, and not complain. That was kind of like his whole bag for being a hero. And because he was willing to accept his his situation that God had given him, he was willing to do good at school. Anybody have heroes who do good at school? Anybody? Somebody? Bueller? Bueller? He's willing to do good at school, and he didn't complain. God made him one of the great heroes of all of human history. And so what I want to do is that we're going to actually read through the entire first chapter. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to do that. If you have your phone with you, I want to encourage you to follow along. If you have your phone with you but you don't have a Bible app, you can slam down the ESV app for free and uh, follow along with me. I like to use the ESV, the English Standard Version. I find it's... A, um, Fairly readable for being really close to the original Greek or Hebrew, which I appreciate while I'm reading and preaching. Other people use different translations, and that's totally fine too. Part one of chapter one of Daniel's life. A very painful providence. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So here's Jerusalem. There's a bit of a, there was a map. There's a map for me. Will it not show up? We killed it. Work. Do your job. You had one job projector. The king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it, meaning he brought his army and surrounded it to conquer the city. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, there's a name for your next born son, his chief eunuch, maybe not, to bring some of the people of Israel "...both of the royal house and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature or literature, and language of the Chaldeans. And the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank." And they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, and Hananiah he called Shadrach, and Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Why do I call this a painful providence? this event in the history of god's people was one of the most humiliating and painful events that they would ever go through as you remember god had raised up a people out of abraham he came to abraham about a millennia before this and said to him i choose you out of all the nations and i'm going to make your name great going to make a covenant with you and out of yourself is going to come many nations and God blessed Abraham because Abraham believed what God had said, and this is it. He was a man of faith. He believed God's promise, even though he was like 90 when he got that promise. And he eventually had a son of promise, and that son had another son, and out of that son came the 12 tribes of Judah. And they went down into Egypt, and they multiplied like crazy. And about 400 years later, out of, with great miracles and mighty signs, Moses delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land of Israel. And when, bro- when Moses brought them in, He brought them in to to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to bless Israel and to make them a bright, shining nation in all the world so that everyone could see the glory of God by their relationship with God. That was the point. It was meant to be missional. They were meant to be the great mission-sending base of all the world, that by God having chosen a nation and giving them this land, he could be with them in the tent, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. And as they believed in him and obeyed his word, he would bless them and they would see See the wisdom and blessing and glory of God, all the nations around them, and they would go, Why in the world are we worshiping these idols when we could be as blessed as Israel? Let's forsake our false gods and turn to the true and living God and all the world would be blessed. That was the plan. But as part of Moses' law, there was this promise that if Israel failed to be the people of God and instead worshipped idols and became like the nations around Israel, God would, having wrestled with them, eventually eject them out of the promised land. The promised land wasn't a true possession for Israel. It was what people call a usufruct. Everybody say usufruct. Usufruct. It means it's a gift that someone is allowed to use— They don't get total possession of it. It's theirs as long as they use it well, but the original owner has the right to take it back if it's being misused. That's the idea. And so Israel had the promised land to use, but if they misused it, God had the right to take it back, and that's what he did, and that's what was going on here and you can see that god was behind this whole event by this one simple line in chapter 2 it says the lord gave jehoiakim king of judah into the hand or into his hand into the hand of the king of babylon so all this, when the king of Babylon came to attack Jerusalem, he came with his armies to besiege it, even though sometimes God had protected Jerusalem before, and this time God had said, no, you guys have been disloyal to me for too long. I told you what was going to happen if you persisted in your rebellion, and now is the time for you to be exiled. And the Lord gave all of Jerusalem into the hand of a pagan, evil, wicked, abusive, murderous, enslaving king. And the Lord did it. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because of a technological difference. It wasn't because of an economic problem. It was the Lord who did it. It's providence. God was in control, and he decided now is the time when Jerusalem is going into exile. That's painful. And as the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, conquered this city, he pillaged it. He pillaged the temple. He took the gold and the the bronze and the things out of the temple. He took the best of the, the wealth out of the city. And he took the best of the human capital out of the city as well. He took the nobility. He took the princes. He took the king. Anybody who was worth anything to him, he enslaved them and took them back to his homeland to serve him. It was a human pillaging. And not only that, but he decided that he wasn't just going to have these smart young people. I imagine that Daniel was kind of teenage years during this time. This was like the high school age students. That he not only was going to make them leave their homeland after a brutal conquering and force them to travel hundreds of miles to come to his homeland. He was going to make them serve him. So he said the very best of the Jews. I want you to take them Train them in my culture, train them in my technology, train them in my wisdom so that they can stand in my presence and they can help me do a better job of ruling over them. Do we get the picture yet? Imagine that your family gets kidnapped and hauled off to another country, and in that other country you are Compelled to learn skills and trades so that you can serve the very person who robbed and kidnapped you in the first place so that they could do their best job of ruling over you. Is this your best life now? Anybody? Can we understand that this would be a painful providence? to happen to you if god decided this was going to be your life and this was daniel's entire life was serving pagan kings according to the will of god he never went home guys he never went home he's a hero of the faith one of the best of us he never saw jerusalem again his entire life was using the wisdom god had given him to serve pagan kings Including, he even had his name changed. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Like his name was Daniel. Which in Hebrew means, my judge is God. Dan means judge. Dani means my judge. El means God. Daniel, my God is, sorry, my judge is God. Or God is my judge. And they took his name away from him. Gave him the name Belshazzar, Belshazzar. 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 But the, the crazy thing is that all of these names are actually pagan king-derived names. If Daniel's name is God is my judge, they gave him, all well, like, let's name you after Bel, the god, or Nebo, or, or someone else. These are pagan, king, pagan god's names, these names are derived from. Ouch, 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 ouch knowing that you live in a time when your people is under God's judgment, knowing that your entire life is going to be serving pagans, knowing that you don't even get to keep your name. Ouch, 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 ouch. Are you tracking with me? Now, in response to this very painful providence that is from the Lord, Daniel responds by embracing dangerous devotion to the Lord. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Remember, the king said, these guys get to eat from my table. How I understand that is either it just means from my allotment, or maybe every day he had this humongous feast, and people got to eat from his table as a way of showing his dominance. He would eat first, they would eat next, and they would take the food to other people to show that you are all underneath the control of the king. Could be like that, not totally sure. So you would endanger my head with the king. Okay, so here's Daniel. Can, can I just be honest? He suffered enough that m- many Christians would have walked away from the faith already a long time ago. Amen? Because we have this kind of like, if God's not good enough to me, I'll go try somebody else. I'll walk away. I don't, I'm, not gonna, I'm done with this thing. You know, we, we have this theology of suffering gives us the right to abandon the Lord, Right? right? Because we deserve, we know what we deserve, we know what we ought to have, and if God won't give it to me, then I'll go find some other God who will give it to me, or at least I'll live in a bitter, rejective life towards the Lord who doesn't give me what I think I'm owed. So part of the heroicness of Daniel is he literally has it like as bad as it can get from the hand of God. This isn't even like an accident. It's like the Lord said, I did this to you. And Daniel receives it as God did this. But he responds with this dangerous devotion to the Lord. He looks at all this food from the king, which I'm not totally sure why he sees it as potentially defiling, most likely because it hasn't been butchered in a way that would make it... clean for a jewish person to eat it's not kosher and it was most likely presented to idols as an offering to them before it's eaten but he looked at this food and he says in his conscience in his heart if i eat this i will be expressing a lack of devotion to yahweh the god the only true god my god who's put me here if i eat this i will be betraying my god I'll be defiling myself. I won't be as holy and as pure as I want to be. Even like he lives with pagans, he's in a foreign land. He's a million miles away from the temple. And I don't think the temple was destroyed when he first went into exile. But before a few years are out, the temple itself is destroyed. He is hundreds of miles away from cleanness. And he's going, but this is my one thing I can do to practically embrace holiness to God. I cannot eat this food. And you know that this isn't a small thing because the chief of the eunuchs, God bless him, responds and says, if the king finds out you're not eating his food and you're not doing as well as he thinks you could be doing by eating his food, I'm dead. Because that's how Nebuchadnezzar's work. You either do what they say or you die. And that's from the Lord. In a later chapter, God rebukes Nebuchadnezzar because he says, I put the life and death of every one of your servants into your hand, and you're acting proud, so now you go crazy. But that's, that's how it is. So here Daniel even saying, I don't want to eat this food. I want to stay holy to the Lord in some way. He knows that he could die just for asking that. The chief of the eunuchs could take him out just for asking. But the Bible says that the God gave Daniel favor. And so instead, the chief of the eunuchs just kind of... He he doesn't say no. He just says, this is my perspective. If you don't eat this and you look bad, if the king notices that you're getting too skinny, I, I, I'm going to catch it in the neck, literally. But can we just... Can you hear, see the contrast? Isn't it crazy? Like after this setup of Daniel being hauled off and rejected and renamed and subjected to going to pagan university. That the first act we see Daniel actually doing is going, how can I stay holy to the Lord in my situation? Wow. So Daniel doesn't get the response he might want, which would be a quick and easy yes. And one of the things I love about Daniel as I'm reading this story is that Daniel is such a man of wisdom. He is like the book of Proverbs in the flesh. And he regularly is responding calmly and rationally and logically in confrontational situations. Is that our culture? When you don't get what you want what are you supposed to do fight for your right to party we gotta fight bam, for our right bam 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 to pop pa- right right anybody somebody that's our culture don't get what you want youtube rant don't want get what you want fight so here's daniel And he he could have had an extra uppityness because he's literally fighting for the Lord, for holiness to God. Nobody can make trouble like somebody who's convinced they're serving the Lord. Amen? Look at his gracious response. This is what he says. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he's not going back to the chief of the eunuchs. He's going to the guy who actually serves the food. And he says, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. This is how you know you're dealing with another culture. Fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Some would think that isn't necessarily a reward. But do you see how he, how Daniel responds to the no with a reasonable, rational, peacemaking, soft answer response? Even though he's proving himself to be kind of the right in the right, and go- he said he gets a soft no. I don't want to eat this food anymore. Soft no is well. If you don't, I'm going to die. So he, he just well. Why don't why don't we do a test? Here's a way that we can figure things out. Here, here's a way that I can s- submit. We can, we can try things out. Why don't we do a 10-day test, and then you can decide. He's not being argumentative. He's not being whiny. He's not being um, uppity. He's not being bitter. He gives a soft response that turns away wrath, and he, he actually makes room for these, these gentlemen who could die over this thing to be gracious and to respond well without their life necessarily being on the line. Do you see the wisdom there? This is like that moment when Solomon's got these, this baby, the two women with the live baby and the dead baby, and no one can figure out how to solve this thing. And so he, he says, well, why don't you cut the living baby in half? And so the true mother says, no, don't do it. And he's like, there you go. It's a soft answer. It was an indirect response. It was using wisdom and prudence and discernment to solve an impossible problem. And so Daniel's got this impossible problem. This guy who thinks he's God said you have to eat this food, and he doesn't want to eat it. How do you solve this problem? Why don't we take a test? This is one of the things I did, why I think Daniel deserves to be such a hero, is is he shows how you can accomplish things in ways that we don't necessarily make movies out of right infinity war the negotiation i want to destroy the planet with my infinity gauntlet okay that's one way of doing things well if you're worried about overpopulation why don't you just feed everybody with your gauntlet and see what happens and make your gauntlet send people to church and see what happens i never thought about that why don't you try it out for 10 days Hollywood, you just got to save $200 million in special effects budgets. Sadly, you made a movie nobody wants to see, but. But in real life, heroes with wisdom are what we want. Amen? Don't you want to live with a hero who has wisdom? Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. So there's this reasonable response, and then what I'm calling an apostolic outcome. Let's read it together. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. Here's a gift that nobody wants nowadays, skill in literature. I love it. I love it. I love it. He got top marks in English. Does that make anybody popular nowadays? See, this? we're so messed up. Quiet. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That would be cool. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought— Sorry, I am resisting describing what eunuchs are. Too much last week. We'll leave it this week. The chief of the eunuchs brought them in before the Nebuchadnezzar. And the, skink, the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What do I mean by an apostolic outcome? Because that's a weird way to look at this. Well, the apostolic mission of the church is, is missions, is to send people who know the Lord to go and minister to people who don't know the Lord, to win them to the Lord. Amen? That's what that video was going to be about I hope your your interest is peaked. This is like the Matrix, right? When they, Do you remember back in the days, old people, when it was like the Matrix commercials came out, they just they didn't say anything. It just said, Did you do that? Those green things coming down. Did it, what is the Matrix? And they didn't tell you anything. And you're like, Ooh, I need to find out. Ah, see, now, you got to saw like one millisecond of it. Isn't your interest peaked? P I Q U E E D T D E D Q I. The apostolic mission of the church is to send out people to people who don't know the Lord. And because Daniel didn't become embittered and rage-filled because of what God had done in his generation, but instead through faith and applying himself to his mission, which was to learn things— God blessed him to become the smartest man in Babylon, which positioned him to stand in the presence of kings for generations. It started with Nebuchadnezzar and then went to his son and then went to Darius and then went to Cyrus. He ministered to four or three kingdoms worth of kings who would never have heard the name of the Lord if it weren't for Daniel's apostolic faithfulness. He embraced what God had called him to do and did it better than anybody else. And because of that, in a few chapters, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be writing letters to his entire kingdom praising the name of the God of Daniel. Amen? Do you hear what I'm talking about? This is crazy. This guy had the worst life, but because he embraced it and did better at school than anybody else, God made him the Old Testament's best missionary. Amen? He is a forerunner of the church through suffering, going to the nations to proclaim the name of God until they would worship him. Amen? It's crazy. But it's right here. This is crazy, but it's God's way. This has been the plan the whole time that the nations of the earth would be blessed through the children of Abraham. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we are the children of Abraham. And our whole mission until we die is to see the nations of the earth be blessed by coming to faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we exist. And everything serves that. Job serves that. Learning serves that. Marriages serves that. Children serves that. Churches serves that. Coronaviruses serves that. War serves that. Politics serves that. Everything in the entire human history under God's providence serves God's plan to spread the name of Jesus throughout all nations. So that at the end of time, people of every tribe and tongue and nation would be around the throne of God praising Him. That's what's going on going on. And it's what's always been going on. And nothing kills your participation in that plan like complaining. Well, that's the first half of the sermon done. Let's get on to the important stuff. Martin Luther King Jr. Years ago, in probably the United States of America's most famous speech, except for maybe that Abraham Lincoln one, said something along the lines of, I dream of the day when my children will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That they would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And it seems to me like sometimes we can be very excited about the first half of that statement, not be judged by the content of their skin, and yes, and amen, and won't that be wonderful, and let's all pursue that. But we don't remember the second half of what he said, which is he actually wants people to be judged by the content of their character. Because our character is the only thing worth judging. Who we are on the inside, how we respond, what we're like. The real us. That really matters. And Daniel's a hero because of the content of his character. How he responded to what God was doing. That's all character issues. How is your character? What is your character like? Do you ever think about this? Do you ever wonder, do I have great godly character or do I have poor character? And the crazy thing about character is character is the thing that determines how your life is going to go. God can bless you with all the blessings of the world, but if you have crap character, it's, it ends up being a curse. If your character is terrible, it doesn't matter how many good things God sends your way, you'll sabotage it. I, I was just remembering this morning, I had the privilege of going for a ride with somebody like a couple of days after they got a brand new car. It's one of the Honda Civic, 19, circa 1999. He got one of the sweet ones with the like extended power band option, which I don't even know if that means anything, and Kelsey's on holidays, so it just meant like, and it was like manual, because if your car's not manual, it's already like, you know it's manual it's a standard power band and we were driving with some other friends and one of the guys had a skateboard and by accident he kicked it up when he was getting out of the car and it, it dinged the car and the owner of the new car, how do you think he responded? She was not happy at all. And I learned a lesson there. That if, if you have a certain kind of character, even the blessing of a brand new car is just you freaking out waiting to happen. Because that new car will get a dent, or a scratch, or a rust spot, or break breakdown. Eventually, your new blessing will just be a reason for you to complain. If your character's like that. You see what I'm talking about here? God can send us great things all the time, but if we just respond with fretting, or if we just respond with worry, or if we just respond with, it has to stay perfect just the way I want it, or else I'm going to melt down. If we respond with sniping, or if we respond with envy, we just keep sabotaging what God wants to do in the world and through us, because of our character. And Daniel went through, his life started with the worst possible story start enslavement to a king where his whole life is going to be devoted to making sure that king did other evils well. That's a horrible story start. Unless you have amazing character. And then it's a great story start. Because it's going to turn out to be a great story. Amen? Too many of us are stuck. We're we're Luke Skywalker in A New Hope and not Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. You know what I'm talking about? But I want to go to Mos Eisley and pick up some power converters. Amen? Back row? Nobody? It's okay. You'll figure it out. If you have great character, if we have great character, godly character, fruit of the Spirit character, minds controlled by the Scripture character— Then we will fulfill the words of God in Romans 8.28, for there we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If we have godly character, everything serves for our good. Everything's an opportunity to trust God. Everything's an opportunity to triumph with God. Everything's an opportunity to glorify God. Everything can work out for the praise of the Lord. Everything can make us stronger. Everything can make us know Jesus. Everything can be an opportunity if your mindset and your character is there. And don't we live in a time where everything's about what what other people are doing and everything's about what the news is about and it never comes down to an ungodly people cannot produce a godly country. And all the resources and all the free health care in the world cannot stop us from destroying ourselves if we have ungodly character. Well, we don't talk like that because we don't want to have to deal with our character before the Lord. Truth number two. We need to be ready to serve God in whatever situation he sends our way. Nobody wants to die young, but many of us have life insurance. Right? Anybody have life insurance? Put up your hand. No? If there's any life insurance salesman, you can just look around now and you've got some bring you some business. Bring in the business. Nobody wants to crash their car, but does anybody here have car insurance? Nobody wants to burn down their house, but does anybody here have fire insurance on your house? Okay, we we don't like thinking about this stuff, but we also prepare for it, right? Nobody likes to think about the idea of Canada being completely destroyed in war in the next 10 years. It can totally happen. Australia just announced this week that they're doing their largest military buildup in history because of concerns about war with China. And it wasn't that long ago that the entire planet was at war in World War II. Let's just imagine soldiers in the streets of Steinbach that aren't our soldiers. What are you going to do? What do you think God expects you to do? I think he expects us to be faithful to the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? I think if you've read Daniel, we know what he expects us to do, to submit to providence. You don't have to like it, but we have to like God in it. We submit to providence, embrace holiness, and serve God as best we can in our situation, in our day. What other option do we have but sabotaging God's plan for our lives? Okay, we don't like to think about it. But we have to think about it. It could totally happen. There were two world wars in the last 110 years. Two! We've gone a long time without the world melting down. Some of us could send our kids off to war. It's totally possible. And in fact, that's normal human history until the last 100 years or so is for every generation to send a bunch of its sons to battle. And we get to decide now how we're going to react then. By who we worship. Do we worship a God whose uncle money who has to be sending us the checks from heaven or else we're going to walk away from him? Or are we like Daniel, in with God no matter what? Because he's the living and true God, and the Lord of Providence. I'm going to save the rest for next time. But I will say this. There is a ton we don't know about the future. Amen? Amen. That's the thing that makes it the future. You don't know what's going to happen. That's the thing that makes it the future, is that you don't know what's going to happen in it. But I can tell you one thing for sure, for sure, for sure. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you and I give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that our future will be filled with the love and faithfulness of God. And you can know that when you die, you will go to be with God forever. We are people, we totally depend on God because God is the Lord. He's the Lord of the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's going to do. He knows the choices he's going to make. He's the Lord over the future as much as he's the Lord over the present. God hasn't invented anything that he is not the Lord over. He's the Lord over the future. And he rules it by promise. And he's promised every single one of us, if you are not believing in me, you could be the most evil person in the world. But if you'll turn... And look to Jesus. Jesus went to a cross 2,000 years ago. He was punished, though he didn't deserve it. And even though from a human perspective, it looked like just someone wrongfully dying. In God's perspective, he was punishing Jesus for all the sins of all his people that they could never earn back or pay back. So that anybody who comes to Jesus could be granted full pardon and total forgiveness by God and 100% acceptance and to be adopted as a beloved child or daughter so that you could know that starting today and for the rest of your life and for all eternity, you would be with God. Forgiven and loved and cherished. Not because we control the future, but because God is faithful and true. And that was absolutely Daniel's faith. Don't you think he believed in a God like that, that no matter what's happening, if I'm faithful to God, he'll be faithful to me? Absolutely, and he proved it with his life over and over and over again. And Christian, I want to call you afresh today. I'm a a Canadian Christian just like all of us. I know that for 95% of us, the treasure of the cross and the treasure of full forgiveness from, uh, from God and the treasure of having God for us every single moment of our life is something easily forgotten because of circumstances. And that's not right. And if you're not a Christian and you're not walking with God, I want to tell you the best thing that will ever happen to you. is to turn to Jesus and to give your life to him. You can do it so simply. You can even do it in your chair. You can just say, okay, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I give my life to you. I don't know totally what that means, but I want to do it. I believe that you're God. I believe that you're real. I believe that you're going to forgive me. I believe that you're alive from the dead. If you believe that, you give your life to Jesus, and he will take care of you until the day you die and meet him face to face. And hey, if you need to think about it, if you want to think about it, if you want to talk about it, there's no pressure here today. I'll put my cards on the table just so you know I want everyone to become a Christian. So I'm not being sneaky. This is my my call in life. This is why I exist. I want everyone to become a Christian and to walk with God and have God use them and have their life be totally fruitful so that at the end of their life, God will say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. Enter into the joy of your master. That's my, that's my whole goal. I want that for us. I want that for you. I want a life for you without any regret. I want a life for you with minimal distractions. I want a life for you full of the character of God so that you can be as useful to him in whatever situation he puts you in. Amen? And young people, young Balfour's, I want Daniel to be a hero to you. Because he is amazing by his face in Jesus. Let's stand and pray if the worship team wants to come and get stationed. If anybody wants just to ask something for the Lord, I just want to invite you to put your hands in a position of of receiving or of yielding to him. You don't have to. There's no pressure, but many people find it very helpful to make their bodies say what their hearts are saying as well. So God, I give you myself. I I know that my character is very immature in the Lord, and if I had been in Daniel's place, I, I probably would have fallen into bitterness fairly deeply apart from your mercies. But God, we are your people, and we want to be very fruitful in this age. God, would you deal with every mindset that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Father, would you help us to have confidence in you and a holy devotion to you so that we can take every circumstance and make it serve your purpose, just like Daniel did? God, would you help us embrace excellence in this life, Lord? So that we can be as useful to you in our calling as possible. And I pray, Lord, that we would hold the details of this life very loosely under your providence. As you decide what's happening in nations, in ages, in health, in economies, in politics, in cities. So much is just under your hand and you give one way and another. God, would you help us to be prayerful and faithfully submitted. God, I want to pray for every single heart today who is frustrated with their character. I know what that's like. And Lord, I just want to pray off any judgment. And I want to pray for the hope of God. Father, by faith in you, even our poor character can do us good as we are compelled to look to Christ again and depend on his cross and to trust in his love and to say again, I can't do it, but you can do it and I trust you. Father, I pray you bless each one of our kids here, our young people here online. Father, I pray you give them true heroes in the faith and that they would supernaturally love people who will show them the way to walk with you. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said,